Well, good morning, Bentry. Uh, let's go back in time for a few minutes, if you would. Uh, I like to do this, kind of put yourself in the head of someone. I want you to picture what it's like. This is near the end of the Old Testament, right? You are uh, an Old Testament dude. It's near the end of that, that time. Uh, you put yourself in this guy's head. You've grown up listening to the old gray beard guys teaching about God's word. You know the Pentateuch by heart, the first five books. In fact, now you are one of the old gray beard guys that teach every week. You know the stories by heart. You can literally speak the entire first five books of the Hebrew Bible by memory. You know not just what they mean, you know exactly every word. Your entire life has been spent in the pursuit of studying these scriptures. You're observant of the law in every way. You celebrate the Shabbat or what we call the Sabbath. You wear the right clothes, the right uh, mixture of clothes. You wear your hair just the perfect way. The Bible says what you eat, your diet consists of everything God says. On this earthly morning, though, your mind starts to wonder as you prepare for this journey into Jerusalem. As you rise up early this morning, something excites you. Well, let's be honest, it always excites you. This is where you let your mind rest, especially when you're stressed. You think about this one thing. Every day you carefully read over the scriptures. You think through again of the promise that God has made. You recite to yourself the words from Genesis, the proto-evangelium that one will be born of the woman even though they were sinful. One would come from her line that would bless the entire world and crush the enemy. You think about Abraham, the promise made to him when he was childless and very old that a, a son would be born from him and from her that would lead the whole world to salvation. As you pack for your trip, you think of over the prophecy of Judah, Jacob's son, Jacob had his name changed to Israel as Israel's son, Judah's line. From that line, a king would be born. This promise, this man would come, this rescue mission. You think about this as you pack your donkey up for the trip or, or the story of how God led the children of Israel out of captivity, of bondage, of slavery in Egypt across the desert for 40 years and into the promised land. And you stop and you pray, Oh God, Father, lead your people out of bondage once again. Send your rescue mission now. Your mind turns to the prophet, Nathan, as he had gone to King David and prophesied over him and over all of the nation that this future king would be called the son of David. You let your mind go through. You think, I'm traveling to the city of David today. I'm traveling to the place where he will rule. Your mind floods with all the promises of the prophets Isaiah, that the Christ would give a sign that he would be born of a virgin. You think of the prophet Micah and that he would be born in a tiny little village called Bethlehem. 
You read those words just yesterday as you prepare for this important day. What will the Messiah be like? What kind of king will he be? You have faith that he will come, but how and where and when? How will this king save his people from the earth? Will he be a warrior king like is prophesied in the Old Testament? What will he be like? You have faith in God that he will do this, so you wait. And you wait. And you wait. You study the scriptures. You watch for the signs. Faith is hard when it has been more than 400 years of silence from God. The prophets have ceased to prophesy. You think of the words of the prophet Malachi. He prophesied that the Messiah would come soon. Soon, soon. Malachi, it's been 400 years. What is soon? Well, it's time to get on the journey. Today is a special day. King Herod has asked us to come along with the other teachers of the law, all 71 of us, the Sanhedrin, to come and give spiritual advice. This king is not a Hebrew. Oh, he plays like he's a Hebrew, like he ever cared about the holy book. But when a king summons you, you go. The word in the council is that of the Sanhedrin is that Herod has been shaken to the core by a large group of people that have come from the east. A large entourage with a few at the top from Babylon and Persia, mathematicians, diviners that have said there is a king to be born and they want to know where. Let's pray. Father God, as we enter this season of Christmas and studying your words, our request is simple. Would you meet us here today in these words of the Bible? God, uh, we pray for a supernatural connection to you through these words. Holy Spirit, you have free reign in this place to our hearts and minds. God, help us to get rid of all the distractions that would take our focus off of you. God, thank you for each person hearing my voice and hearing your voice. It is in the great name of Jesus the Christ. We all prayed and said, Amen. Amen. Well, I promise we'll come back to that story over the course of today and over the course of this series. Today we begin a new five-part series. Uh, it's going to take us five parts, but not five weeks. And you go, how is that? Because we have Christmas Eve coming up. If you've never done Christmas Eve adventure, you do not want to miss it. It is one of the highlights of the year. I'm calling this series Advent Living in Between. Now, when I use the term Advent, there's a few things that come to mind uh, for you. Maybe it's the four weeks leading up to Christmas, kind of the traditional Advent time. Maybe it's that picture of the wreath. We had a wreath in my church growing up where it had the, the different candles you'd light each week and they each kind of had a different meaning and, and, and I'm going those are great things fond memories but that's not what we're talking about here those are not bad things at all but they're just man-made they're not in the Bible it's just man-made stuff uh, for some Advent means a time of fasting before Christmas kind of like Lent if you grew up with that faith tradition, that, that idea of God, let me get rid of stuff in celebration of Christmas. But that's actually not where it came from originally. 
Historians tell us it developed in the mid-400s, and again, it's not a bad thing. It's a really a sweet thing that we've brought in tradition of those 30 days leading up to this time of Christmas, but it wasn't Christmas that it was celebrating, but people have forgotten that. Let me give you another definition of the word Advent and go back to the basic stuff. Like, you know, this is the basic thing of what Advent is there. If you've got your notes, uh, follow along. We'll have all the scriptures that we cover. We'll look at that. But write this first thing down. Advent, the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. That's literally what the word meant or means. So what is Advent? Well, Jesus is the Advent. Christmas is the time to celebrate the birth along with the promise, the long-promised Messiah, Jesus, was born in Bethlehem. So we say this so lightly, don't we? Right now we say Christmas, we let those words ring in our ears, and, and we don't think about the depth of these words. Advent's the same way. So put yourself in the sandals of that dude, that old teacher of the law, a leader, what we would call a chief priest, not the chief priest, but a chief priest. He's watching, his life has literally been set on waiting for the Messiah to come. And you probably caught that it's been 400 years since the last prophet said anything. Nada, nothing. It's been 4,000 years at that point since Adam sinned. It had been 2,300 years since Adam, Abraham's promise. It had been 1,600 years since Moses had led the children out of Israel. It had been 750 years since Isaiah had said the stuff about the virgin. And then that 400 years, not a word from God. How do you go on? Now here's the thing I want you to understand. Maybe you're here right now. Waiting for God's promise can be long and difficult. And painful. Right now we are waiting for another advent. The second coming of Christ. Someone say amen on that. Because we just got through that Revelation series. And you go, are we through? No, we got two more weeks left after the first of the year. In fact, I almost started with like open your Bible with Revelation. But we're in Matthew. What's interesting is that that advent... Back in the Middle Ages, uh, the advent where it started all this happened right before Christmas. But Christmas wasn't the focus. It has been now. The focus was Christmas is coming, so let's spend the 30 days beforehand getting ready for the second advent. Did you know that? That's been lost because of man's tradition. It was getting ready for the second advent. Here's what I'm saying. Write this down. We are living in the in-between. We are living in the in-between of the two Advents. If you are a Christian, you have been saved by grace through faith. And that faith to believe is a gift from God, as is the grace. But although we are forgiven, we have also been given the righteousness of Jesus. If we are in Christ Jesus. Amen? We still haven't seen, though, the full benefit of our salvation. We talk about this a lot, living in between. We are saved if we are in Christ Jesus, but we are not in heaven yet. So that's good news if uh, some of you thought we were. You know, like, if you thought this was heaven, it gets a lot better than this. It gets a lot better than this. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus is coming soon. Let me say that again. 
Jesus is coming soon. That's, that's one more time. You're not catching on. I know it's early. You, so I'll say this and you give a hearty amen because this is what your heart hangs on. But clearly not. Jesus is coming soon. Amen. This is what you set your mind on. Because to understand the second coming of Christ, we must first have a firm grip on why he came in the first place. Because here's what all the scholars agree on. They really do. The biblical scholars, those Old Testament dudes, and even our man we are talking about, we put ourselves in his sandals, uh, they did not see it coming and going down the way that it came and went down. Do you see what I mean? They pictured something totally different. And when Jesus shows up in Bethlehem, it blows their mind because they've worked out all the details with this. Now, we've been talking about the return of Christ in Revelation. We don't know the details, but we know with the first coming. Why? Because it's written down for us in these books. With the first coming, Jesus' birth, we do know the details. We know a ton of them. And here's the thing. If we begin to look at the details of the first advent, we can begin to understand a little bit more of why and how we must live. Check this out. In the in-between. If we understand that. Now, here's the challenge with Christians, teaching Christians. When I say things that maybe you've grown up with or you've read and you let you go, oh, I got that down. I got that down. A lot of times we don't have it down because we have just hit the surface. Let's take a look at the scriptural evidence of the birth of Jesus Christ and what it means. Matthew 1, verse 1, go ahead and pull that up. The apostle uh, Matthew tells us what he is writing about. He's going to say, this is what the book is about. It's the first verse, and it's really cool that the church father said, we're going to put this one first, and it's because of this verse. You ready? Here it is. According an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. Here's what we need to see before we go any further. The writer of this book, inspired by God, the Holy Spirit writing through him, tells us something he's basing the entire book on. He said, I'm going to tell you about the story of Jesus. He states unequivocally that Jesus is the long-promised Messiah. Now, why is this important? Because you have been waiting on it. Your beard has turned gray. You have been waiting your whole life. It is your happy place. When everything goes down, you're going, at least the Messiah is coming. Right? And Matthew starts out his book and he says, the long-promised Messiah has been born. This is a major deal. If you're new to the whole Christian thing, checking this out. Jesus is his name. Christ is his title. His name is not Christ. His name is Jesus. His title is Christ. Literally, the title Christ means the anointed one of God. So if you said it fully, Jesus is the long-promised anointed one of God. That's what Christ means. The long-awaited, uh, anointed, uh, promised one of God. Now, not only that, Matthew tells us in the first line of this book, 
of the New Testament, something so critical I don't want you to miss here because we're going to spend some time on this. Write this down. The genealogy of Jesus establishes his ties to the promise made by God. The genealogy, in other words, his lineage of Jesus establishes his ties to the promise made by God. Now, two things here. One, the word genealogy comes from that same root word as Genesis. You can literally translate genealogies as Genesis. The Genesis of Jesus establishes this. Or to say, uh, the Genesis of Jesus establishes his ties to the promise made by God. Now, don't go off on me. Don't go off on me. It's not saying Jesus was created. This is important you understand. Jesus is not a creation. He is God. Does that make sense? Let me see if I can make a little bit more sense. He's not an afterthought, but Jesus is fully planned before the world is created. He is coming to earth. Now, this just blows my mind because it's before we sin. Jesus coming to earth is not some kind of backup plan. It's not like you go, oh, well, they sinned. Well, what are we going to do now? And now, let me explain why that works. I have no idea. I just, I mean, it just is beyond, it is beyond me. I just got to tell you, it was the plan, plan A. There is no plan B. The second thing here, not only his genealogy connected to Jesus, but specifically through those players, Abraham and David. And here's something very interesting. When you uh, give your lineage in that age, it was so very important for a Hebrew because it was all about everything connected to your money, who you were, where you went to school, what you did for a living, had to be based on your lineage. Like, who's your daddy, right? All the way back. Who's your granddaddy? All the way back. I am a descendant of the king, right? And that's what's happening all the way back. But Matthew is doing something here. It is is a little bit different. He starts with Jesus and then says, here is the lineage. He says who he is and then the lineage. Some of you uh, made a commitment to read through the Bible in 2019 with me. Uh, anybody just want to hold up their hand that is still on course? 2019, read through the Bible. Good job, good job. You're getting close. Keep going. It's almost there, right? You can do it. Now, for those of you that haven't read through the Bible, 2020 is coming. And you should do it. And here's a little secret. Start now. Start now uh, on Genesis 1-1. You'll be a month ahead, right? And it'll get you there. But here's what happens a lot of times when people read through the Bible. And a little side note. When people say, hey, someday I want to read through the Bible. All the way. I go, praise God. Don't do that. And you go, what? What do you mean? No, read through the Bible. Check this out. Every year. Every year. Some of you are going, no, man, no, no. I go, look, if you start reading the Bible, all kinds of crazy stuff happens. Your life starts changing. You have different purpose, all that stuff. Read through the Bible every year. It's really good stuff. But one of the things is when you first start to read the Bible, you're like in it and the stories are good. And you're going, man, I love this. This is great. But then you hit the begats, Right? You hit the, the lineage and you start going, and you can't even pronounce the names. You're like, you know, you can't, they be like Bobby, like Bobby gave birth, you know, you know, this, uh, you know, all that stuff. So 
here's what it is. You go, why is that stuff in the Bible? Why is the lineage? Well, I told you it's to, to show who you're connected to. But let me tell you why it's in the Bible at all. Because of this chapter. All of it. Every single one is because of this chapter. God's people, the Hebrews, are careful to keep track of their genealogy, their genesis, if you will. They want to prove their standing with God. But the purpose was this. Uh, you're going to see it in Luke as well. We'll look at that before the end of the series. You're going to see a genealogy. Uh, by the way, it's a little different. Some of the names are the same. And you're going to see this, but what Matthew is doing here is conduct, connecting Jesus back to King David and Abraham, who the promise was made to, this promised one. He's connecting, connecting him back. But hold on, look at verse 6. Uh, you're going to see this in verse 16. Uh, we're going to stop at verse 15, okay? But it goes, the line goes through 16. Now, y'all just pray for me as I do this. Look at this. Here we go. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers, right? The 12 brothers. Now Judah fathered Perez. Perez uh, uh, by Tamar. And look, one woman is mentioned. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Aram. Aram fathered uh, Abinadab. Abinadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Woman number two. Boaz fathered Obed. Uh, I'm sorry, Obed by Ruth. Woman number three. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. If you have your Bible open, go ahead and underline in that King David. Maybe put a little asterisk outside and, and point to it. David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife, fourth woman listed in that. Now, we're going to come back to this another time, but notice it's not David's wife. Uriah's wife. He had an affair. He had the Uriah killed. It's a different story. Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Rehoboam fathered Abijah. Abijah fathered Asa. Asa fathered Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat fathered Joram. Joram fathered Uzzah. Uzzah fathered Jotham. Jotham fathered Ahaz. Ahaz fathered Hezekiah, one of the great kings. Hezekiah fathered Manasseh. Manasseh fathered Amon. Amon fathered Josiah. Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shealtiel, Shealtiel fathered Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel fathered Abidab, whatever that is, Abid fathered Elikim, Elikim fathered Azor, Azor fathered Zadok, Zadok fathered Achim, Achim fathered Elud, Elud fathered Eleazar, Eleazar fathered Mathan, Mathan fathered Jacob. Someone give me a gold star. You just plow through that. But brother and sister, there is a lot of history in what we just did. This line, this lineage has kings and prophets. But listen to me. It's got a whole bunch of garbage in there. A whole bunch of sin. And check this out. L ladies, we love you. But back in the day, you never put ladies in a lineage. Why? 
Because they didn't matter. That's not me, by the way. Don't, get, don't, don't kill the messenger. Don't kill the messenger. It just didn't matter. I've said this before, but historians will tell you that women weren't, uh, didn't have first names. Except for the Jewish people. And you go, why is that? It didn't matter. There are five women in that list. You go, no, there are only four. No, there's five there. We'll see it. Hebrews didn't typically put women in their list. Rahab, she was a prostitute. Tamar tricked her father-in-law into sleeping with her, her father-in-law to sleeping with her because her husband had died and she wanted kids. The father-in-law, a pretty scuzzy guy too. David fathered Solomon through Uriah's wife. She was an adulterer and David had Uriah killed. I mean, we're talking the worst of the worst right here. But the men on that list aren't any stellar either. And we could preach a series on this, including David. Although even the great ones like Abraham uh, had serious sinful flaws. where They were human and messed up. Um, now we can get lost in that stuff. We can get lost in going through this stuff. Uh, but why else uh, would they put this list of messed up people to start off the New Testament and what we call the New Covenant. You can think of the Old Covenant, Old Testament, New Covenant, New Testament. Two points I want you to see. Write this down. The list is, although there are tons of sin and messed up people in it, God still used messed up people, and check this out, still used the sin to accomplish His purpose. He didn't commit the sin. God didn't author the sin, but definitely He used it. By the way, that's good news because I know you. God wants to use you and will use you. And you say, I'm messed up. I'm sinful. Hey, join the crowd. We've got jackets. You know what I mean? Christians, we're messed up. Somebody, you know, every once in a while say, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. I go, you ain't lying. You ain't lying. We're just forgiven. And the second thing I want you to write down is, this is Jesus' family tree. It's like an episode of Cops. Right? You'll see this more as the series moves on. But the, uh, but the, well, the theme that will come back to over and over is some theological truth that you have to get down at the core of you before you'll understand some of the deep truths of the Bible. And it is this, Jesus has Two natures. He has two natures, and that's actually how you say it. Jesus has two natures. He is fully man. He, he is man in every sense of the word. The Bible tells us he's tempted in every single way we are tempted. That you can be tempted, and I would stress even more he's tempted because he doesn't yield to the temptation. Like we bail out. You go, the temptation starts a little bit. You go, I can hang on. You go, oh, no, I just said. Jesus never bailed. He experienced the full temptation. He's fully a man. He's fully a man. By the way, he's still fully a man. And he is fully God. 
Get this at the core of who you are. You don't have to get all of this down right now and understand it, uh, all the details. But what I want you to do is start to grasp hold of this. Jesus is not half man and half God. He's not a God that looks like a man or a man that acts God-like. He wasn't uh, just like this man that was born and then God said, hey, you did so good that I want you to become God. Uh, some of you, and, and this isn't to hurt, hurt your feelings on this, but you've got some Mormon baggage and teaching that you kind of maybe grew up with and you just got to be careful and make sure you kind of filter that out. Mormonism is not like a, a brand of Christianity. It is a completely different religion. It is a, a false cult. What they would teach is that Jesus is a created being who became a God. That's not true. This is this piece. We have to watch for what we call heresies, or that's just a fancy word for false teachings, that have bubbled up from good-meaning people that just didn't study God's Word. We have to guard against that, and what we, we have to look at what the Scripture actually says. The reason we come back to this and look at this over and over again is it is so foundational of how you and I relate to God. Without this piece of doctrine, none of your other doctrinal pieces will work. It is so important. This is why we study the four Gospels and all of Scripture. But we want to understand who God is and who Jesus is. God's Son. And in that, we find out who we are. We really do. We find out, when we find out who Jesus is, God, we start to understand who we are and how we relate to Him. The Apostle John doesn't give us the traditional Christmas story, like you see in Luke and Matthew. The Apostle John just kind of sums up what's happening. He's just going, hey, look, this is how it is. And one of the reasons is the other three had been written, and those guys are dead. John's an old man now. This is like during the time of Revelation. John writes this thing down. He goes, let me just tell you all the stuff. He, he just cuts. He doesn't do the story. He just cuts right to the chase, right? Anybody like truth tellers like that? You like you go, just tell me, John, what the deal is here, right? Look at what John says, John 1, 14. This is the Christian story, uh, the Christmas story, and people don't realize it. John says, the Word, and he's introduced that, that's Jesus. That's his title, the Word of God. He's saying this Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, this is the picture of Jesus. Jesus is fully man, but make no mistake, Jesus is fully God at the same time. I know, crazy. If you skip back a few verses, back up to verse 1, John says it this way. He says, in the beginning, what part? The beginning, right? In the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus again. And the Word, Jesus, was with God. So when was Jesus with God? In the beginning. This is important. This is before creation. And the Word was God. Do you see this? It's not saying that He is Father God. He is God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're seeing the Trinity at work here. He's saying, look, He was God. He's not just a man. He's fully God. He was with God in the beginning. You go, I thought He was God. Yes. Yes. And all things were created, check this out, 
through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. This is another theological truth that I want you to get down. Everything you are experiencing right now with your eyes, you touch the air. Everything is created by Jesus. Some of you are going, no, God, God created, Jesus is God. Do you, you understand? And some of you are going, oh, what? Like you're like slowing down. The processor's going, oh, man, I don't know if I can get this down or not. You hear this echo, don't you, in, in Genesis 1-1, from Genesis 1-1, when it all started. That's deliberate here. In, in other words, since the beginning, Jesus coming to save us, this rescue mission, it's always been the plan. Well, let's get back to our checklist. Here it is. Go back to verse 16, Matthew chapter 1. We're going to finish this line. This is the easy part. Here it is. And Jacob, remember he fathered Jacob, fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Christ. When we study God's word, we don't make assumptions. I mean, we we can, but it's not smart. Look what it says and consider what it does not say. First, who gave birth to Jesus? Just say it out loud. Mary. Mary. Some of you are like, Joseph. Oh, no, wait, wait. <laughs> Seventh grade biology. <laughs> All right. First, who gave birth to Jesus? Say it together. By the way, she is the fifth woman in that line. Right? He's, she's the fifth woman in the genealogy of Jesus listed. She is great. Not knocking Mary at all here. At the same time, I want you to see something. Because Mary is probably about 14, 15, maybe 16. Probably 14, 15 in this. She's a teenage mother. She's a virgin. We'll talk about that and why it's important in this series. But I want you to see something here. She can offer him her love. And not much more. Because let's face it, your parents can give you a big boost in life, or not. They have what's called social capital, who they know. I remember my first job. I wanted to get that job. There weren't many jobs in my little town. And so I was just saying, and dad goes, oh, I know him. I can talk to him. He, I got the job because of my dad. You see what I mean? Jesus didn't get anything because he's Mary's son. They're so poor. They're like, you know, they're so far out in the sticks, they actually have to import their sticks. They're so, they're so poor that they, they don't have anything. He doesn't get anything because he's Mary's son and Joseph's son. We all stand on the shoulder of our parents at some level. Here's what I'm saying. Jesus is born to Mary. They have no social capital. But here's the other thing that I want you to see about this verse. Look what it does not say. It does not say Joseph was the father of Jesus. Why not? Because he's not. He is the son of God, fully God. But he is also the son of Mary, fully a person. Do you see? Fully God, fully human. A physical, real person born of a virgin. Now some of you, uh, you you're, even you Christians, you, you kind of, uh, when I talk about the virgin birth, you go, it's just like, you know, we can say of a virgin, but we all know she just got pregnant. That's actually not true. And we're going to talk about this coming up. 
This is a real thing, the virgin birth. So why all of this list again? Matthew is showing us that Jesus has this earthly line that he could have come from, but he didn't on this line. So that even the person, uh, every person, uh, he could have acted as heavenly father, but he did, I'm sorry, uh, let me say it this way. He could have come from this line, but he didn't, let's say. So why put all the line in and then say he's not from that line? He's not, Dave, uh, or not Joseph's son. This is huge. Look at verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the exile to Babylon until Christ, 14 generations. By the way, we'll talk about this more another time, but I want you to be prepared if someone says, hey, uh, we can't trust the Bible, it's just a collection of nice fables, because it contradicts itself. I always like it when someone does that, because I go, Where? And they, if they've really studied, they bring up one, and this is one. And here's what you'll find out if you're a Christian. Don't worry about this. Because when things seem to, at least on the surface, contradict, here's what you're finding. It's actually a chance for you to go deeper. There's something more for you to know. It appears on the surface maybe as a contradiction, but actually it proves it even at a deeper level. If someone says, hey, this list doesn't include everybody on that, or if they say this list doesn't match the list all the way in Luke. And we'll talk about that when we get there. But the idea of Luke is one is Luke, scholars will tell us that list is the list that goes down to Mary's side. This is Joseph's side. So why, let's take that on. Um, scholars think uh, this is the case. In other words, instead of... Um, Oh, let me do this one. Here's the short answer um, if you say, hey, it doesn't include everyone on the list. You know, like everyone in his line, because it covers, in some cases, a couple of hundred, two, three, four hundred years that people are missing in the list. We know of those people. Why not list those? And they'll say, see, you can't trust it. But here's the thing. Matthew is making a bigger point here and you can't see it unless you know that it's hidden you're looking for. I don't want to spend a ton of time here, but this is going to bless you, so look at it with me. Matthew doesn't mean that every generation is represented in this list, but that all the ones in this list are part of the generation or the genealogy. Does that make sense? Not everyone that is in the entire list uh, total is represented. All the ones that are listed written here are part of it. Make sense? But watch, Matthew structures this. You saw it. You, you just let, let it bounce over you, didn't you? I did for years. Three sets of 14 each. Or if you get my fascination with seeing the number seven, if you divide um, 14, what do you get? You got seven plus seven. Or if you subtract seven, you get that. So you go seven, seven, seven. We saw it in Genesis. We saw it uh, early this year. And then we saw it in Revelation. The number seven is this number for God. You see it coming up over and over. And specifically, seven, seven, seven. Look at that. Three generations 14 each generation. 
You go, Paul, that's 7-7 seven, seven for each generation then. No, it's not. We're going to look at this some more uh, as we move forward, but let's just touch on this. Um, you know how in verse 1, David, uh, or it begins with Jesus is David's son and Abraham's son. You remember that? Verse 1, that's going to come back over and over. That's Jesus is called the son of David. You remember you underlined that when we went through that in your Bible? Here's what I want you to see. The Jewish people had this long practice of what is called gematria. And some of you go, do they have medicine for that now? It's not a disease. It's a practice. It's a practice. And here's what it is. It's an alphanumeric code of assigning numerical values to a name or a word or a phrase of the letters. Let's take a look at this. A single word can yield multiple values depending on the cipher used, right? Now, we can get lost here, and there's tons of false teaching that can creep in if you, uh, if you look on the Internet. But this is basic stuff. This is Scripture. Scripture is revealing this to us, giving the number value to the consonants in the Word. Here's what I mean. Take the word David. David. There are no vowels in the Hebrew language. You assume the vowels. You insert them in. Does it make sense? So if you say, you take the A and the I out, you are left with D-V-D. Write that in. Kids are going, what are DVDs? <laughs> That's David, right? If you take the number assigned to that in the order of the uh, Hebrew alphabet, this is the number that you get. 4 plus 6 equals 10 plus 4 equals now, why is that so interesting? You go, Paul, because you're a geek. <laughs> Remember, 7-7. Seven, seven. Now, it's 777. Write this down. King David is the 14th name on that genealogy list. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right here, we see seven, 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 seven. They're coming out of the woodwork. Seven, seven, seven. Right down to the very core of the way the gospel is written. These people are going, well, the list doesn't match. You don't see the purpose for the list. He's trying to say, this is the long promised son of David. This is the rescue mission. Right down to the very core of how the gospel is laid out. Let me give you just a few more things. Just a few more thoughts and we'll land this plane today. But you're going to love the next few weeks on this. It's going to make you love Christmas in a way that you've never loved Christmas. Uh, in an entirely new way. Uh, Jesus goes by many names and titles, right? Uh, and they each have an important message about who he is. An aspect of his character. But I want us to think about this title, Son of David, for just a minute. For a Jew in that time. With our old man at the first that we were putting ourselves in his sandals to say the son of David meant to say he is the long promised Messiah. It's, it is the deliverance. So when you say son of David, you're going, that's our deliverance. Does that make sense? That's what they would hear. There's a story of Jesus in the height of his earthly ministry. He is got his followers uh, and his disciples. And literally at this point, there are thousands following him. And I'm like, like 10,000 following him. 
So it's like, it's like the road show, right? They're going to all the different cities and uh, different villages. And when they get there, it is just crazy. They've got tour t-shirts. They've got the buses, everything, right? It's this huge deal. They didn't really have buses there. Some of you are like, they had buses? So, but there's, there's a tiny little story in the middle of this thing in the book of Mark that I, I just love. Uh, and it's about a blind man who was a beggar. And I just want to leave you with this thought. His name was Bartimaeus. I mean, they literally called him blind, Marta, blind Bartimaeus. He would sit in the road near the main gate of the city of Jericho every day. Now, Jericho isn't the main city. It's one of the other big cities of there. So his deal, he was an adult. He had been born blind. And he goes out and he goes outside the main gate and he sits there every day. Probably someone leads. That's his gig. That's how he literally eats is he gets the money from begging. That was his life. But something that you understand, if you've ever had to deal with blindness for even just a season, you learn to listen. If you lose your hearing, you depend on your sight more. If you lose your sight, you learn hearing more. But those other senses are sharpened. When I was a little kid, I had to spend months. I was talking about this uh, earlier this morning. I, I, I'm blind in my right eye, if you don't know. And when I was a kid, because of surgeries and long story, but there were, there were weeks on end, I was completely blind. And so it's one of the things that really sharpened my hearing is getting that down. Because like when you're a little kid, you're like playing. You're, you're like, there's a creek in the house. You're like, what? You know, like you, you're listening, you're watching, you're trying to listen uh, or watch with your ears. Now, like our man who we opened our time with today, that teacher of the law, you remember? The top of society. But this guy is at the bottom of society. He's literally a beggar outside the city of Gate. They were both, though, waiting for the Savior. They were both watching for the signs. Well, this guy's listening for the signs, right? Well, one day, Jesus and his giant crowd comes to town. And this guy hears about it. You know, all the big crowd, everything, and, and he, he can't do much about it. So what he does is he listens, and you learn to smell stuff, too. Like you're like... You know, they're getting close. You're smelling them and you're hearing. And as they are coming by, he's going to plan his, uh, his little thing right at the right time. He's going to listen for his opportunity. Bartimaeus has this chance and it's his only chance and he has to do it fast. There's thousands of people so think of like leaving a big football or game and everybody's leaving. They're going outside the city. So there's thousands of people and this crowd gets it within hearing range and it's loud. And he starts to cry out. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Nothing. So he, he gets a little louder. And he starts shouting at the top of his lungs, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he starts repeating it over and over. And you've got to see this thing. Bartimaeus had heard the teachings. He knew the promises. He had heard them growing up. He had listened. He was looking with his eyes, with his spiritual eyes, for the anointed one. He even, though his physical eyes didn't work, his Faith eyes did work. 
Listen to what Bartimaeus does. He cries out. Means he yelled at the top of his lungs. Have mercy on me. You go, have mercy because he's blind? Mercy means you've done something wrong. Something's wrong. Is it because he's blind? Well, kind of. But it's that son of David that really sets us off here. Bartimaeus is saying, I believe you are the son of God. The promised one. That's what he's saying. But the people around Bartimaeus are telling him, they start saying, shut up. Man, keep it down. This is embarrassing. One of our beggars, sorry. He's, he's blind. Sorry, keep going. And, but the more they say that, the more he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He gets louder and louder. So then look at verse 51. Mark 10, then Jesus answered him, what do you want me to do for you? Everybody goes, hush. This is huge. This is huge. Rabboni, the blind man said to him, I want to see. I want to see. Now, listen to his language. What is the blind man asking for? He's asking for his sight, right? Or is he? Yeah, he wants to see. He's asking for the eyes of his heart to be opened. He's saying, my eyes can see you. I believe you are the son of David. Look at verse 52. He says, Jesus said to them, go, your faith has saved you. He's saying, your faith has saved you. Immediately, he could see and began to follow Jesus on the road. Now, you may have read this story for years and you thought this was talking about his eyes. And that's a tiny part of the story. What I want you to see is he saw the Messiah and he got up and followed him because his eyes were opened. At first glance, you may think this is all about a blind man getting his sight and being part of it. But what you really need to see is it's his faith. He had spiritual sight. He knew who Jesus was. He had connected it to his faith. And when the opportunity came, he grabbed it. And look, he left the place of his blindness and he follows Jesus. Brothers and sisters, friends, if Jesus is the King of Kings, say Amen. If he is the son of David, say amen. amen. Do you believe that? Then call out to him. Because he's passing by. He can heal you. And some of you are going, my, my physical ailments? Yes, he can heal those. And he may not. Or he may. But he's saying, you can be made complete. I can heal you. But it is your faith that you have to take action on. You have to get up. You have to say yes to the Father. It's not just believe. It is placing your faith in Him to act on it. We live in the in-between. Jesus is coming back for His people. Amen? Amen? The first advent has come. The parade is here right now. Jesus is here. Now is the time to follow Him before He comes again. And it will be too late. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we call out to You in the name of Jesus Christ, our King. Our confession is that He is the Son of David, the long-promised One, the Son of Abraham.
God, would you take our hearts and give us eyes to see that truth that we would get up from the point we are in right now and follow him with all of our hearts. God, would you help us to put legs under our faith, under our sight, and go and seek hard after Jesus. Help us to not stay where we are, but to follow you. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. because he's passing by he can heal you and some of you are going by, by physical ailments yes he can heal those and he may not or he may but he's saying you can be made complete I can heal you but is your faith that you have to take action on? You have to get up. You have to say yes to the Father. It's not just believe. It is placing your faith in Him to act on it. We live in the in-between. Jesus is coming back for His people. Amen? Amen.
The first advent has come. The parade is here right now. Jesus is here. Now is the time to follow Him before He comes again. And it will be too late. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we call out to You in the name of Jesus Christ, our King. Our confession is that He is the Son of David, the long-promised One, the Son of Abraham. God, would You take our hearts and give us eyes to see that truth that we would get up from the point we are in right now and follow Him with all of our hearts. God, would you help us to put legs under our faith, under our sight, and go and seek hard after Jesus. Help us to not stay where we are, but to follow you. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.